This is Tommy's Outdoors 89. And in this episode, our guest is yet another young scientist. Boy, I love talking to those folks. Uh, his name is Adam Francis Smith. And as you see in the title of the podcast, we're going to talk about camera trapping for large terrestrial mammals. We're going to talk about relation between predator and prey species. Um, but that's not all. Uh, we're going to talk a whole host of other things, but among them, we're going to talk about Chernobyl radiation in ecological biosphere reserve. I think that's the name uh, where Adam is conducting his research, or at least part of his research. And we're going to talk also about rewilding. And yes, rewilding is a subject on many episodes of, of my podcast recently. But then again, if you talk about large areas of land, where uh, where you have predator and prey species and pretty much the full assemblage of animals that are uh, in, the, in the modern ecosystems present, then there is no way to not talk about rewilding. And Adam, uh, who is doesn't have really, you know, he's ecologist, he doesn't have uh, his axe to grind uh, particularly either way. Uh, he has some very interesting and valid points regarding rewilding and regarding uh, human-animal conflict. So definitely uh, it is worth to listen uh, for all the reasons you can find. And uh, folks, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, then please leave the rating or comments on the platform that you're using for this podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then hit the like button. Uh, all those ratings, likes, stars, this is helping me and the podcast uh, very much and ensures that I'm going to produce more episodes like this and like other. And so with that, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Francis Smith and camera trapping and predator spray species interaction and rewilding and all sorts of awesome stuff. Adam, it's good to see you, man. It's good to see you, man. You've been traveling a lot, and the time is not the, the uh, like a, not something that you traditionally think. Oh, it's, I'm going to travel a lot. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, I hear you. Yeah, um, I've been uh, hopping all over Europe actually this year when everybody was locked down, uh, kind of skirting between coronavirus rules and. Uh, yeah, trying to get uh, some projects that we were working on implemented. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, as, as a PhD student, you're always under pressure to collect data. And in a time like this, and in uh, when you have to travel, uh, yeah, it was pretty important for us to, to try and get out and, and get some studies set up. Did you, did you have like a, you know, quarantine anywhere or have like a special permits to, to, to cross the borders or anything? Yeah, so... Um, not not really. We only traveled when there was no quarantine restrictions in Ukraine and Belarus, where we were going to. Mm -hmm. um, I did have to do a pre-travel pre corona test to get into Belarus, uh, and it had to be negative. Uh, but that was that was fine. I, I luckily I luckily have been negative at every test. 
And even now that I'm back in Kildare, in Ireland, uh, yeah, my blood tests came back that I never had corona at, at any stage. So, okay. uh, yeah, I think when you do all the right things and you 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 try your best to stay safe, it's 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 definitely possible. And was was there was there like a little bit of a disappointment? Like I thought I had it and I never even noticed. <laughs> yeah, no, I so I am. I am sure that at some stage I would have had to have caught it. Like we were uh -huh. uh, just most recently in, I, I was in the, the Carpathians in Ukraine and we were in uh, Skolivsky Beskidi National Park and we were in a, a, a four by four, a Lada Niva with uh, six guys, six fully grown men stuffed into this <laughs> four by four, a bunch of equipment, people sitting on each other's laps. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, This is this is Corona unfriendly for sure, but actually we were all fine in the end. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and like, like we we get to we we wind back in a second what you were doing, but I remember like just just before we started this recording, I said like you had a pretty crazy few months, and I remember one of the tweets that you sent is like, oh, it's like a two shots of vodka for lunch, and then we climb the mountain. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That, that, was, that was like a, a light day, I would say. Two <laughs> shots. Uh, so, listen, you were, you were um, you know, when we were chatting like a couple months ago mm -hmm. uh, to set up this podcast, you, you said like, yeah, listen, I'm going to be running camera traps in Chernobyl exclusion zone, right? And I, my mind goes like... Pfft. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, so please give us a bit of background. What what you what you're doing? What is the research? And mm -hmm. you know, sure. Okay. So, um, uh, effectively, yeah, I'm a PhD student with the University of Freiburg, uh, which is in Germany, and I live in Germany. Uh, I live in actually the Bavarian Forest National Park, oh. where my lab group is based. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, my lab is run by Professor uh, Marco Heurich. Um, he is basically in charge of wildlife and visitor monitoring in Bavarian Forest National Park. But I am also employed by the Frankfurt Zoological Society, which is a conservation organization based obviously out of Frankfurt. And they have um, conservation projects and initiatives like all over the world. South America, Africa, most famously, and but also in Europe. So also in, in Belarus, in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, in Germany, and then also some, some involved in some projects in like Romania, mm -hmm. Poland, uh, Slovakia as well. Mm -hmm. So my project, um, I basically look at uh, predator-prey interactions in, in mammal, uh, mammal communities, mm -hmm. uh, but then focusing on Ukraine and Belarus and, and some specific project areas. So for me, I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm a researcher, I'm an ecologist, and I'm basically working within the framework of these conservation projects, which are trying to protect large uh, wilderness areas or uh, kind of wilder areas, such as um, uh, Polizia, which is this large wetland area between uh, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and Poland. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Europe's largest waterway uh, system. And then we also have some project areas in the Ukrainian Carpathians and then also in uh, Bielovezhka Pushka in, on, on the Belarus side of the Bielovezhka forest mm -hmm. complex. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm in basically involved in all of these project areas. Um, and yeah, our main stuff is, is camera trapping. So we're trying yeah. to 
assess uh, what animals are where, what their populations or abundance looks like, and then seeing these kind of interactions between them and the importance of these protected areas for large mammals. Yeah. So what what struck me is that uh, it seems like the research is kind of concentrated on the eastern side of Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is is there is there any particular reason? And obviously, in my head, is like, is it to do that the um, environment and and you know wildlife is not that much destroyed in that region because there's less people and uh, let's say, let historically. Uh, it, it was less developed, let's yeah. say, than than the Western country. Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, so I, I think it's a bit of that. Like like for the Frankfurt Zoological Society, there they they really focus their efforts on more pristine uh, like places where where they they think this is a good area to protect because of the way the community looks uh, in terms of the ecology and then um, the system in general. So, so yeah, it's for, for us, uh, like the, these places really stand out in terms of, uh, in a European context, uh, um, of course there are amazing wild places, um, or semi wild places in central Europe, in, in Western Europe. Um, but generally they have already, uh, much better developed, uh, much better developed infrastructure for protection, uh, much better uh, infrastructure in say like a national park system, um, which is really like a well-funded and, and accountable. Um, right. But uh, in, in Ukraine and Belarus, it's a little bit more uh, like less so like they have, of course they have uh, amazing nature and, but it's, it's, it's now at risk of, of exploitation it's now at risk of being um uh, torn up and, and roads put in or or large waterways mm -hmm. put in where the wilderness is still actually in, in good condition so that's that's why the these projects are, are kind of been, been funded yes and are there in in cooperation with like a local government yes and local, so okay, always okay always for the frankfurt zoological society it's always um uh, imperative to have local partners mm -hmm. um, so generally uh, like in, in Ukraine and Belarus our go-to local partners are the the, the local branches of uh, BirdLife uh, International oh. so, so for, for instance in Ireland we have BirdWatch Ireland in, in uh, Belarus you have APB and in Ukraine you have USPB uh, who are the local BirdLife uh, partners but, but also um, the on-the-ground people implementing these protection projects right right and and so so you're running a camera traps and you're focusing on interactions between predators and prey so yeah. can you just briefly describe like what what is the idea so essentially you, you want to figure out like you know behaviors and patterns and how many predators mm -hmm. you're trying to get an idea how many predators i have in the area by by counting uh number of times you you yeah so so on. In, in effect, it's it's quite like that. So we we kind of normally run like two different systems. The first is uh, camera trapping uh, in a kind of a random fashion where you can calculate a density of prey species. So in in Polesia, for example, the main prey species for for wolves are uh, elk or or moose, uh, red deer, and then there are some wild boar and also roe deer. 
Um, for lynx, then it's mainly focused on roe deer. Um, so the density of, of prey species is normally one of the most important components of, of the predator uh, uh, density. Uh, but then we have a second kind of camera trapping method where we focus cameras on roads and trails um, in order to capture predators, which use these road and trail networks to move around. Um, so we, we then focus the cameras on those trails. Uh, and then when we get the captures, yeah, we can see, uh, we can calculate some some kind of density estimation, especially for, for species like lynx, where you have individual uh Individually, individually recognizable animals because of the spotting pattern. So you can actually say, okay, that's links A and that's links B. And based on where you see them on the camera traps, you can estimate where their home range is. Uh, you can you can also generally see if they're male or female. Um, and yeah, so the density of 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 the of the of something like links is is definitely calculatable from from these camera traps. Mm-hmm. Is there is there like a also kill site part of the research and and you you know kind of ch checking like how many kill sites you you found? Yeah, so it's it's I mean it's it's opportunistic. Like we don't focus on walking through uh, the, like our our study sites and and trying to find kills because it's much easier actually if you have a, an animal with a GPS collar to find kills. But um, yes. Yeah, we so we 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 obviously write down everything opportunistically, even footprints and and scats on the ground. They go into our kind of data collection, but it's not really our, our main focus. Um, the main focus is more so on the on the cameras. Right, right. And how do you? Uh, what, what's the process of picking the sites where you're gonna place the camera? Because I presume this is like mm -hmm. there is a, some sort of a process. You you mentioned this kind of randomly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I guess behind randomly there is something. Yeah. Okay. More... So, so we have um, we have camera trapping protocols which were developed uh, between the the uh, one of my colleagues in Bavarian Forest National Park and also in collaboration with the Mammal Research Institute in Poland, um, and this is basically for for cat, uh, seeing prey species on the camera trap. So you have uh, your protected area or your study site. Uh, divided up into kind of a grid mm -hmm. and we try to choose in every second uh, grid square we will put a camera trap there but right in the center so we don't have any say in the position of the camera trap we just go with the gps to that coordinate and you say okay the nearest tree to this place with a nice with a, with a steady view to the north that's where the camera trap goes. to the north so you at least yes. said like okay they always pointing to the north They always so they always point to the north. It also takes away the kind of bias from a researcher or a, a staff who are deploying the camera because uh -huh. uh, you don't want them to put it in an, in a place where they think the animals will be seen. You want it to look randomly in the forest. Um, but, but so we also choose north because the way the sun moves across the sky, you don't I, want the sun I, going in the lens. I yeah. thought so. That this is this is this is uh, this is smart to do from mm. that perspective. And so you you said like you're focusing on the prey species. Yeah. So for, for why, this why, camera, oh okay Go for ahead. this camera trapping method, we focus on the prey species. So there is sorry on the second uh, camera trapping method where we focus on predators. There is also a kind of a um, there is a protocol to it. Generally, we use a grid of about. Uh, 2.5 or 2.7 uh, square or 
kilometers each side or 2.7 kilometers each side. Um, and we so again is it bigger or smaller than the bigger, one for definitely bigger. bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, it's normally yeah normally bigger um, because uh, obviously predators use more space. They have larger home ranges, um, so we need to cover more area with let with the same amount of cameras. If you know what I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. So um, within these grids, we again choose like every second one, but this time we we choose where the camera location goes. So we choose on in this grid in this grid cell or in this in this square. Let's pick a road or a trail where we think there's a high probability of seeing a lynx on the camera. Oh, why? Why is that? So because it's so much harder to get those animals on the camera yeah. that you say like if I would if I would go with totally random fashion like with a prey species I might never find anything. So it yeah, it's it's exactly that. So when we focus on on camera trapping for lynx. Um, we we don't worry too much about the the exact randomness of the cameras because actually we can tell which individual is which based on the spots. But for something like red deer, it's much harder <laughs> to say that's that's a different red deer to to another one that you saw on yeah. a different camera. Yeah, yeah. So I will Maybe. say that on the random cameras, you you often get lynx and wolves and even bears on cameras um, that are placed randomly. Yeah. So you focus on like in general uh, uh, predator uh, prey interaction, or mm -hmm. you specifically you know lynx and wolves, or lynx and wolves and bear and like. So for me, do, it's, do you it's, care about the species, or are you like every any? No, I, I I do care about the species. So I I yeah, for me, I focus on um, lynx and wolves. Um, I have uh, the camera trap data, of course, but I also work on some other aspects of of. Um, the biology I have uh, luckily access to to GPS data from wolves that had collars in Belarus, and I'm also using that data to kind of look at how wolves use the landscape, and all of these things kind of fit together. This is, yeah. I mean, the the basis of the of a PhD thesis, I guess, or the, my PhD thesis, kind of putting these pieces together, and then in the end, looking at the system as a whole, links and wolves interacting lynx and and roe deer interacting wolves and roe deer wolves and red deer all of these connections yeah oh it's it's, it's super interesting i remember re uh, um reading paper from i think scandinavia uh somewhere i, I don't remember was it was it finland or norway where um sort of similar thing where um the, the paper was about like how population of wolves impact the population of lynx and like is there more mm -hmm. wolves there's you know there's less, less lynx and if there's any intergill predation and, and and stuff like that so this is kind of i presume a similar type of thing that you're doing yeah yeah so it all comes down to that in the end it's 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 about um yeah so looking at these these study areas and then making kind of inferences about the mammal communities and the systems as a whole and and for me i like i i love this stuff because i get to see uh the continuum, if you know what I mean, I get to see in places like the Chernobyl, uh, uh, the, the Chernobyl uh, Radiation and Ecological Biosphere Reserve, where you have so many different mammal species, large mammal species. And then you get to see somewhere like the Bialavasia Forest Complex or the Carpathians, where you have so many different mammals and, and, and more or less the complete community for, for modern uh, system and then, you, then I get to go I, I, where I live in Germany. I see 
nearly that that same system, but a little bit different because there's no there's no elk, there's no bears. And then I and then I come home and I, I come back to Ireland and I see sheep, yeah, red deer, sika, fallow uh, <laughs> deer, and and that's it. So, uh, so I, I but it's great because I get to I get to talk to people, I get to discuss these things with with people who you know who live and grew up in in these systems and. And then discuss with people in in Germany who are just now having to, uh, who are having the realization that actually, wow, the wolf is really back, and it's and it's back with with uh, in in such a successful way, and how they feel, and and I I I'm trying to be like a sponge. I'm really trying to take all of this information in from everybody. I'm trying to bounce my ideas off them. How do they how do they see uh, systems where where there is no wolves, where there is no links? What 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 does that look like to them? Does it is it strange? How 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 do they think about it? Yeah. So mm. well, we're gonna open that kind of worms in a second. But yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about wolves and <laughs> but um uh I, I have a like a, two questions. I have a, so many questions. So first of all, uh you you mentioned modern systems. What does it mean? Is it does it mean like a modern systems in terms of uh impacted by human? And human development, or is it in terms of like, oh, it's not placed a scene assemblage anymore, and we don't have mastodons? What do you mean by modern system? Yeah, I suppose I, I suppose I mean um, a modern system in the sense that we realized, okay, this is all we have left, and and this in 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 these systems, this is like the complete assemblage of what we have left, um, or or more or less so. I mean, even even if if you look at like Chernobyl, there's there's uh, I don't think there's any jackals in in Chernobyl golden jackals yet. So they, they were probably there. I, I would imagine that's a, a quite an easy place for them to get to, but uh, they're not there showing now. Up, they're showing up in Poland anyway. Yeah, they're showing up. There's also some in Germany as well. So oh, so they they're expanding. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Now a, a little bit of technical question. I I obviously followed you on on Instagram and 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 on Twitter and everybody who listens to that podcast should should just go and hit the follow. Uh, you posted photos of those camera traps, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I I looked at them as like, whoa, holy crap! This is like, you know, obviously as a hunter, I'm running uh, trail cams, and the trail cam is a little, you know, nice small box that you can tuck in a tree, yeah. and and it works like. These these camera traps was like a metal box. Is like is like a big device. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. So what is it like? What is the difference? Why they are so big? And why can't you can't you just you know get a bunch of ca- trail cams and put those trail cams on? And, and yeah. So I mean, in, in in effect, it's the same thing. Um, the the trail cameras that we're using, we're using, um, we're basically using Kodak, which is a American brand of, of camera trap. Uh, with uh, an interchangeable flash system, so you you buy the the camera itself, um, but you can buy extra flash modules. So I, I sound like an advertisement for Kodak now, but they have um, a white flash option. So white flash with a like like a flash from your phone or a, a general camera, where you get a really sharp color picture of of an animal at nighttime. Uh, you have infrared where you you. Like it's just like a normal kind of uh, low glow uh, camera trap or trail cam, and then you have uh, black flash, which is sort of like an invisible um, infrared in a way. Um, and the animals 
don't don't really see or detect anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really the main reason we use these cameras is because we don't have to buy one camera with white flash and another camera with infrared. We buy one camera and two flashes. Um, and I would say the other reason is that they have a really fast, um, a really fast trigger time. I think it's about a quarter of a second. So it's it's uh-huh. in general, uh, it's quite fast. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, when I saw that, I was imagining that it 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 had to have like a technical advantages over like a regular tray camera. No, I mean there there are some other aspects that we use. We use like a time lapse feature to know how long the camera mm-hmm. trap is operating. Um, mm-hmm. We use. Um, multiple picture triggers to make sure that we get uh, that we actually see what the camera uh, was triggered by um and yeah that's 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 more or less it i mean you 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 other people are running great camera trap studies with other cameras uh, it's it's completely doable we just so happen to to pick this one yeah no i'm just homing on the fact that these are like you know professional uh photo traps, camera traps, rather mm. than trail cam, which is more of a consumer. Yeah, yeah. So it's 50, not one you 50, just buy on Amazon. 50, 50 bucks and you, yeah, you yeah. stick it in the tree. How they're powered. So uh, is it like a, a like how they're oh. powered and how long they're, the battery lasts? How, how often you have to go in and uh, replace yeah, so the batteries? They, uh, like our ones are powered by, um, we, we try and buy like industrial standards uh, batteries. So if it's, the, the new Kodabaks, they use a, a D-cell, which is the big, chunky uh, battery. Uh, and normally they take um, four D-cells. And it kind of lasts. It's, it's hard to know. It, it, this is always the question for, for camera trapping. Um, they last um, longer if there's less animals triggering them. They last longer if they have less time-lapse pictures to do. They last longer in generally warm or or not too cold weather. The cold weather tends to wear the battery down faster. Um, so all of these things kind of play into it. We we try and get the camera. Uh, we we try not to leave it for more than three months. Wow, wow! Yeah. So it's quite a lot. And do you have like an option to 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 use the solar panels to to recharge them, or is it because if it's in the mm. forest, it doesn't really work? Yeah, so we we tend not to, to do it because it yeah it's more expensive it it's not always reliable and it makes the camera quite uh, conspicuous conspicuous like you can see the camera and we don't we generally don't want people to see the cameras um, <laughs> yes. if they're going uh, into any of these protected areas for you know mushroom picking berry picking poaching yes. or such yeah. So. Oh, that's a that's a typical thing, you know. I I I know that there's a technique that you're putting one trail cam, and then you're putting another trail cam, looking at the trail cam. So if someone stolen has stolen your trail cam, you know who done who's done it. Yeah, I mean, this is not something. This is something that we have discussed at length, and we also have some cameras with with um, stickers um, uh, informing people of the danger of taking our camera trap because yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for for FZS, it's not really important to lose one or two camera traps, but um, the local uh, NGOs do not like uh, this kind of stuff going on, and they are more than ha- happy to you know go to the local community and say this is not okay. Like we need to to sort this out together. So, but yeah, in the so, sense, they they don't like the traps that you guys running a trap. No, no, they, they don't, don't like people taking the traps. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. they're also involved. They're involved yeah. in 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 coming out with us and sometimes they're doing it by themselves and all of these things. So 
you know, they have investment and ownership of these cameras as well. It's mm. like I, I'm, I'm effectively a, a data processor at the end of the day. It's, 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 it's their community and it's their, um, it's their wildlife at the end of the day, and they're uh, more uh, invested in it in that sense than than I would be, of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, that's a that's a that's a good one. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Chernobyl exclusion zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have so many questions. Like, uh, so on on one end, um, and it, correct me if my if I'm wrong, but uh, I think that on one end, one end is is like a, this this area that was no people for a long time, and the nature took took over, and you know you see the uh, plant life and animals kind of uh, mm-hmm. going back into area where it was like a, like a city and people living there and the roads that are now overgrown and stuff like that. Um, on the other hand, uh, it, it seems to me like this is becoming like a tourist attraction almost. Like, yeah. oh, really, let's go to Chernobyl. You know, I have a, I have a buddy who's a very mm, passionate motorcycle rider, biker, or however you call them. And he's like on to me for like years at this point, like, hey, let's go to Chernobyl, you know, it's, it's cool and it's just, it is this thing. So how, what is the reality uh, on the ground when you, when you get there? And, and before you answer that question, like I presume that in terms of radiation and all that, that, that thing already settled and that's no, 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 no issue at the moment. Yeah, there's, so, so there, yeah, first and foremost, there's not really an issue with, with radiation anymore. Um, uh, generally, if you're, Working in the uh, Chernobyl Reserve or or such, you you generally spend I think four days a week uh, there and and three days a week away. Um, this is just I, I think because of the health and safety, they just don't want people any more exposed than they have to be. But I mean, I spent a few weeks there, and uh, for me, I got I uh, yeah I, I I'm guaranteed that I got more radiation from the airplane. Uh, flying there and flying back than I did from actually being there. So, so is the radiation level actually still elevated compared to other areas? Uh, it, is, it is still elevated and in oh. certain sp- places it is more uh, elevated, but uh, in general it's it's a lot lower than it was, we'll put it that way. Yeah. I mean, there's still places in, in Central and, and Western Europe that have a comparable levels of radiation now um, just because of... of how much radiation was blown by the winds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so yeah, it's 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 a strange place. It's it's both uh, exciting, uh, sad. Uh, it's beautiful, and it's um, yeah. I, I, I think the the tourism thing is becoming uh, a big a uh, big factor for 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 the Chernobyl exclusion zone. It's quite easy to get there from Kiev. It's only a few hours in the car. Um, the one thing I will say is that the, the, the tourists um, basically follow the, the, the same one road in. You would go to Chernobyl town and then you would go to Pripyat and see the abandoned city. And uh, on the way, you can see the reactor and the sarcophagus uh, and then you leave. So there's not really... Uh, there's not so much an impact on on the wildlife. I think much more so illegal kind of tourism. People kind of crossing into the reserve by themselves and setting up, uh, going camping and, and doing like a, an illegal excursion, if you want. Uh, 
So that's illegal. You cannot just go go to Chernobyl no. and just like no. with a tent and then whatever. No, you need uh, even for for us to go as researchers. Like we needed, like you, you, yeah, to have loads of documents and scans and permits and passports and stuff. And and in general, the tourism is quite. It seems highly regulated, but it's it's more and more popular. Yeah, but I would say in terms of the wildlife impact, it's it's pretty minimal. Oh, okay, that's good to hear. Like the 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 reserve itself is two and a half thousand square kilometers or or something around that. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but um, the, the the people do not go to the vast majority of that. Mm, mm. What's what is it like a, in terms of wildlife? And did you did you did you notice any you know major differences than any anywhere else in the Europe because of a you know kind of lower interaction with people? Yeah, just... I mean, um, I would say it's still hard to see things. It's not like going on safari. Uh, mm -hmm. You like we we. We spent a lot of time walking in the forest, a lot of time walking across the old abandoned croplands. And I mean, I saw a handful of deer, uh, some Kredzvalski horses um, and tracks. That's really it. Uh, but tracks from everything, uh, tracks from wolves, tracks from elk, uh, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And, and is it because there is like... You know, comparing to, you know, pre pre human industrial mm -hmm. development, is it is it like is it still uh, so much less animals in terms of you know ton per square kilometer, so, or, yeah. or is it just like we humans are just out there and these animals are not necessarily wanting to show themselves, especially predators, and that's mm. why. So we we actually kind of um like we were we were stuck for picking a study area this year because we had corona on one side and uh trying to organize it on on the other side and and we picked the the Chernobyl reserve in in Ukraine because we had uh you know good good access um and because of the situation there we expect this or we would expect this area to be kind of like a theoretical carrying capacity for mammal biomass in the region. Okay. So in effect, we can use the Chernobyl reserve as a comparison between um, other reserves in Polizia and maybe even further than that. But, um, you know, we, it's, it's, it's clear from other studies that have been done and probably no one has done as much systematic work as we have, but we haven't really processed it properly yet. So I can't say that for certain, but other studies have shown that there is a really high abundance of, of mammals there. And I think, yes, for wolves, it seems uh, a very, very good place because uh, the pressure on wolves in Ukraine and Belarus is people. Um, in, in both countries, they can be shot as uh, pest species. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh, it's, it's interesting. Um, so, and, and then, so what's the, so the idea is you, you're going to compare that whatever is in, in, you found like in, in Ukraine with, with the other, with the other, um, is, is, at this point, is there, I, I know that you have a lot of notes there. Like, is the, at this point, anything that you would, is worth mentioning that we kind of like, <laughs> that I'm successfully avoiding. To, no, <laughs> with my no, no, not really. It was just okay. in case I, I couldn't remember it. Like, uh, 
for instance, this is always the thing for me, the size of protected areas. I can never remember. So I have uh, for, for, for Chernobyl, I've run uh, gotcha. about two and a half thousand gotcha, gotcha. No, gotcha. there's nothing like that. Um, but in, in general, uh, we're very lucky to have, uh, yeah, to been able to get access to it and um, have such great staff on the ground who are really supportive of the project. And, you know, I, I, I wish I had, the, some results to even talk about but mm-hmm. in general I, I've known from just kind of very quickly flicking through some some camera trap pictures already that uh-huh. there's plenty of stuff there and there's yeah. plenty of big big elk and and stuff and it's that's how that's many exciting. of how many of these photos you have to go through because I presume it's like thousands and thousands of photos and you and you need to like analyze every single one of them yeah so or it, it is, are you like running some image recognition software to help you with that how does that work uh, so I would say that the image recognition software is coming and it's coming uh, fast and some people are already doing it, but you need, uh, you need to train a lot of these algorithms with, with kind of pre-existing tagged images. Um, and for, for our studies, um, I, I think we, we kind of keep the study period short enough that we can do it as, as people without too much problems. It will be thousands and thousands of pictures, but there's always people who are you know, uh, interns or, or, or local staff who, who really want to be involved with this as well. So yeah. it, it's quite easy to partition a few camera traps okay, to one person okay. and let them tag. So it's not a problem. Listen, another question that uh, surely um, a lot of people who listen to that have this question is, are, you know, in, especially in Chernobyl, and we, we all saw these videos on YouTube or whatnot about, you know, like, a, oh, mutant uh, catfish or this or that like do you see anything any any impact on wildlife uh from the from the the radiation any ab- abnormalities or or anything like that no so in, in in general no um like there's um there was yeah again plenty of studies uh, on this kind of stuff and i'm not really a i don't know like a radio ecology expert i uh it's not really that interesting for me i mean it's interesting in, chernobyl, in the chernobyl sphere of things in, in general but i would say no because uh at, certainly at the moment the, the levels of radiation are relatively low um and as well as that wild animals don't live for a very long time not enough time to, to develop uh mutations at a significant rate to show something uh ah. that 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 would be kind of recognizable as as a deformity or something like this. I mean, nature is, is kind of cruel. If there if there was a deformity uh, in a in a in a wild animal, it generally is eliminated uh, just, just through selection mm-hmm. in in general. So it's 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 kind of expected to not see anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, strange. you're right. And then like if wolves, like if wolf lives to three, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. So so. Exactly. Given the number of years it passed, like probably if there were even any mutation or whatever, they're all they're already gone. And yeah, exactly. So so is, is healthy. So there's a probably a higher rate of mutation, but is it significant to alter evolutionary trajectory of the animals? It's hard to say. Oh no, I didn't even mean that. I didn't even mean that. I just I just I just thought like but you're right, it's it's like many, many years already um past that. Um, okay, let's let's switch gears a little bit um, and talk about uh, wolves, especially and, and other predators that are moving. Um, they're they're really moving from the eastern Europe towards the towards the west. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am wondering, you know, about your your comments, like general comments about this, and and you know what what you see in in your in your research. Yeah, I mean, um, like in in general, it seems like this positive trend is, you know, really driven by like this uh, strict protection of of these animals, but also um, maybe a change in um, how we as humans use the landscape. Um, probably in the last hundred years or fifty years, there's been a little bit of a change from you know, ex- extensive agriculture and large rural communities um, with quite a low tolerance for, for large predators to, um, you know, I think more than 60% of people in Europe live in urban areas now. Mm-hmm. And and even like in Ireland, we have the highest, uh, highest percentage living of, of people living in the capital city compared to the rest of the country <laughs> and anywhere else in Europe. Um, yes. I, I think all of these things kind of facilitate uh, the, the comeback of these large large predators. And I think wolves are kind of, you know, wolves are the mold breakers in a way. They uh, they can move such long distances. They're not very picky with habitat. Um, as long as they can eat something and they can move, then then they can then then they can go and, and establish in 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 places as far west of the netherlands and, and belgium without really any 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 problems mm-hmm. um and the i guess the the network of natura 2000 areas or uh, national parks and protected areas in between sort of serve as these like uh, jump pads uh, that that these animals can use like corridors um and and wolves are really adaptable they they can do this kind of without our help and there isn't really any wolf reintroduction projects needed in, in mm-hmm. the European mainland, but for lynx, it's like it's quite a bit different because they're so specialists in terms of uh, habitat, and they're very shy and they don't really disperse in the same ways. There are normally, I think, uh, I might be wrong on this, but I think there are generally some animals that that just disperse a really long distance, and they're kind of like uh, saviors or, or founders of of this kind of genetic diversity that that the lynx need. But um, like in Germany, there's multiple lynx reintroduction projects that were successful in where I live in the Bavarian forests uh, in, I think, the 70s or the 80s. Um, and then also on the on the Czech side of the border in, in like the Šumava National Park in, in the Czech Republic, there was a reintroduction a few years later. And now this is like one of the most well-established lynx populations in Europe. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it's 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 facilitated by multiple things, by the protection, by how we use the land, but probably also by people's attitudes. I don't think people are as worried about these species as they were before. And I think there's kind of uh, there's a little bit more understanding and respect for them in, in general. Yeah. But is it like that related very closely to this shift? Because in essence, you're, you're talking about shift from the rural communities and rural areas into the cities or town or, and, and like that, like to me is related because if you're, if you live in a, in a countryside and running sheep, yeah, your attitude toward wolf is, is substantially different than when you're living into the, in the city 
and yeah, you know you're you're, <laughs> you're traveling by by tube or whatever it's like oh wolves they're you know good ghosts of, of forests and all this crap well not crap but like kind of disney fake disney white yeah, yeah. vision of wolves where if they have an impact on it so that's probably related right yeah so so but it is understandable if you're if you're running sheep or you're a shepherd uh, of a sheep flock like this is this is difficult stuff for you this is like really putting you uh under pressure and it's it's scary i understand that i understand that uh like if someone is or if someone is saying oh well this thing it's going to impact your livelihood but uh it's it's like not my fault it's just the way it is like that's that's scary and it kind of leaves uh like uh pastoralists and and livestock producers kind of out in the dark a little bit um but at the, at the same time um like we as a as a society have to decide at, at some point or or at least uh, bring everyone along to to realize that we we can't really let uh the course of ecology or the course of evolution be dictated because well we just don't like them and they put uh they put uh rural communities under pressure sometimes because um like the, these things are also part of rural communities and and our understanding and our uh, kind of evolution as people is alongside these animals and so when you start removing those things it's 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 also impacting the cultural heritage in a way like we have to remember that our ancestors grew up with wolves and and lynx and probably they had uh they had low tolerance or 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 such for them but it was just a part of life and and already you see and and in places where wolves have always been there's quite a quite a high tolerance in general like it puts uh livestock herders under pressure that's completely fine and that's understandable um but they they kind of know how to deal with it or they they just take it as a fact it's like well it's raining today that puts us under pressure it's just part of nature and it's 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 strange that we have now control over that in a way or we we kind of enacted control over over wolves we decided uh, or some somehow society chose to s- sort of el- eliminate them or extirpate them quite a lot from from their range but for instance we ca- we can't do that with the weather we can't change the weather mm-hmm. it's just part of nature um so so we have to kind of come to this uh compromise or come to this uh path together where we can have both where we where we realize this is part of nature but let's uh let's not persecute the wolf for being natural let's protect uh ourselves from nature or our livelihoods from nature yeah so in a way you build a shed for 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 cattle to protect them from the rain there's also these kind of uh implementations that we can make to to better um protect say livestock herders from from wolves yeah it's a it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing and i and i you know i agree with with what you're saying but on the same time if our you know ancestors the first first farmers and people who just mm-hmm. starting right had a you know physical and technological capacity to eliminate a wolf they would do it i i i'm guessing so and in itself this is not a 
unnatural process. No, right? It's it's like almost like an intra-guild relation uh, yeah, predation, I, right? That that wolf yeah. will 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 kill fox. Except mm-hmm. they're you know the numbers game is like they cannot kill every single one of them, and it just yeah. are now that we are through the technological advance, we now have this capability. So there there we we done that, and you know it's it's always for me. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's sometimes hard to reconcile, you know, treating us like humans as a part of nature. Right, like we are, we're part of nature, but then it's like, okay, but if we're part of nature and this is all natural, and so what's what's going to happen? We're going to wipe out everything because it's natural, right? If you have, yeah. right, if wolves have a, like a super, and and I I I can I don't have an example right now, but it's it's known from the from the history that when one predator becomes a super predator and and kills all its prey, and then the population goes down, and like. Right, we don't want this happen to us, right? Like, oh, we. Of course. <laughs> so, this is this line, like where we we are part of nature, but then we like, ah, uh, you know, we are so powerful that we actually control the nature. So, can you be part of something that you control? You know, with the with the like, it's. Yeah, this is this is hard questions. I have I have no idea, really. It's 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 uh, for me. I can't reconcile them either. Like, how how do you? Um, answer these questions and these are things that at least we have to talk about the problem is that we've had uh whatever even hundreds or thousands of years of nobody talking about this like how how do we what is our impact and how do we measure it and can we mitigate it or should we mitigate it or and and how do we make decisions that inscape or that um how do we make decisions that impacts a whole landscape or a whole uh, ecosystem and then uh, by effect or or through the ripple the whole planet like we now uh the the difference between um our relationship and with nature and our ancestors relate relationship with nature is uh we in a way understand nature a lot more we we can we can really measure everything down down to 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 molecules and that's in one sense uh scary because it again it takes us away from the physical act of being in nature and the physical act of interacting with nature but at the same time it gives us a fundamental understanding that our uh, physical interaction with nature and our face-to-face interactions have a have an impact so yeah. it's 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 hard to know what what the correct thing to do is or 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 how we should act as a society as even even as scientists, it's 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 extremely hard to know that. Yeah, um, it's interesting what what you said that that uh, on one end we understand nature more, at least some group of people who are studying yeah. and like, like I said can can you know split hairs and like know you know take out DNA of this and that and something else, but then on the other hand you have all the all the you know uh, population who has just busy you know facebook yeah, or whatever else and they you can argue that they're much less connected to nature than people who used to you know they had no idea about the dna but they were just living there it's like okay i see the weather pattern i see this i see that mm-hmm. you know, right so yeah so it's, it's a completely different understanding of nature like everyone that if, if i meet someone new and i say this is what i do the first thing they say to me is 
oh, like David Attenborough, like I love David Attenborough and I watch all the documentaries. So they, they have some information. It's not that they have no information. It's just different. And um, there, then there is the people who, you know, boots on the ground or, or even scientists who have a, a very acute understanding of, of these things. Um, and yeah, of course, it's, it's, it's just really hard to reconcile. Where, where do we go from here? How do we change our attitudes? How do we keep people like in nature interacting and enjoying it but at the same time uh preserve it and uh give it the space it needs give it the space it deserves and um and allow the processes which which shaped not only nature but shaped ourselves and society and uh everything that we've everything that we've built as as human beings is on this foundation of nature and it's a bit like um, I don't know. It's like sitting on a branch and using the hatchet on on the side that the tree is on. You're just going to fall off. Yeah, um, yeah. And, That's and a, it's a, mm-hmm. Go ahead. There's only so much that we can uh, replicate or or, um, or or manufacture ourselves to to replace these processes, um, and at 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 what cost? Like it would. The, the cost, uh, like maybe you've seen it before, like if, if we took away all the pollinators and had to pollinate everything by hand or by machine, it would just, it would just not be worth it. And it's, it's hard to, yeah, it's, it's hard to then say, well, then we should protect these wild spaces and wild creatures. But then in the short term, there's normally a monetary gain uh, that goes the opposite way. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 look, uh, this is not a question, but it's it's kind of like I, 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 I'm gonna throw it out. I'm wondering like what's what's your comment? I know this is not sure. a question, so I'm, so I'm not expecting answer. But you know, on one hand, you know, you know I, I am wondering like we this is this is quite common, and especially in a in a in a in a group of people who are like you, like researchers or outdoors people, like myself. You know, we like, we need nature. We and then it comes to the thought like I do do we really? Do we re- like, and this is, I think, a problem, right? Do we really need the nature in those wild, wild places, right? Because let's say, okay, we have this landscape, you know, heavily modified by grazing, right? And this is like a whole discussion, like, oh, is it overgrazed or is it not overgrazed, right? Oh, you know, if you want to have a wilderness and bear and wolf and lynx, it's overgrazed. But if you want to have this, you know, community that lives there for hundreds and hundreds of years oh well that's not overgrazed because that's that's what they do right and you know we we have people living in a space station right yeah. we're talking about going to moon and going to mars like so at some point it's like do we really need that and and then it's like okay is it like we just want it it's and often you have this discussion like Oh, why the rewilders, right? Using this this umbrella thing. Why the rewilders not just admit that the, the wolves are cool and they want them? Like, and I, I'm a first one. Like, yeah, wolves are cool and I want them. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm I'm struggling to find an argument that we really need wolves because if we don't have wolves, then everything will collapse. Like, no, I think we will get to go without wolves, right? So, 
I, I, I'm wondering, like, how much do we need, right? Because then I, I agree with you. Then we're going down through the chain, and you, yeah, you know, you, yeah, you say, oh, you don't need the wolves, and then we don't need this, and like, we don't need the pollinators. Like, oh, hang on a minute, no, actually, yeah. we do need pollinators, and like, oh, but if we want to have pollinators, we also need like. So, is it a matter of like everything in nature to finding that balance? Or, yeah, so or you think so. that we have a responsibility to say like, well, we need to bring all this thing back because it used to be there, so it has to be now. Yeah, so I think it, I think it's a bit of both because um, it's not like saying we can we we should bring back wolves to Ireland and put them in everybody's garden so everyone has access to wolves. Like this is uh, they they don't need that interaction. It's what what it more so is for me is that. Um, you know, all of the services that we take from nature or, or it provides to us, uh, which we have built our societies on, um, these things are, um, it, it, it's scary that these things could be eroded away. Uh, and I use the word erosion, uh, like, um, like specifically, it's, it's literally uh, like the slippery slope, chipping away piece by piece until you realize, okay, well, we've lost 68% of uh, mammal, bird, amphibian biomass in, in 50 years. And, and, and that happened just in 50 years. Like that's, and we didn't even see it happen. That's, that's what I mean. It's like an er, really like an erosion that you don't really see. It just, you, you kind of blink and, and it's gone. And I, I suppose when you talk about wolves, it's, it's more of a, it's, it's really almost like a statement. It's really like saying, we cannot we cannot let this erosion happen therefore we will make a it, it is a, it's like a statement of saying um the hardest thing to coexist with which i i even don't think it is the hardest thing to coexist with i, I think coexisting with other people is way harder yeah but, and, with, uh, and with viruses like, it's also yeah exactly <laughs> so co coexisting with with nature uh if we can coexist with like large carnivores it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the, the epitome or the, the the zenith of nature coexistence and if we can do that and we can protect them and we can protect the areas that we need in a in a natural state then then all of the services that we rely upon nature to provide um are, are protected as well it's it's like an umbrella um so it's it's it's, it's for me. It's like sort of uh, important in that in that sense. So I would say, in terms of uh, like absolutism, is it absolutely important, or is it absolutely vital? Probably not. But it is uh, too valuable to ignore in terms of changing people's attitudes. Because if we do not change people's attitudes and we continue down the same road we're going, uh, it's going to be a bleak future for us and it's going to be a bleak future for uh i don't know like our kids and the next generations are going to I, I really think they're going to look back and say they absolutely shortchanged us with with how they treated the world and how they treated nature and how they valued it um because now they they or then they would have so little uh and and already in a way we have so little we just don't know it but the more we look at it, the more we study it, the more that we uh, communicate this, it's clear to see that uh, 
we are already shortchanged and and everything we do is is uh is important in that sense yeah it is it is uh kind of um it, you know not not funny that's not the word i'm using that it seems like people who have a less well but maybe it's natural the people who have a less access to nature they are like urban communities mm-hmm. are seems to be more tolerant and more kind of oh you know let's bring back wolves and bring then the then the communities who are I, 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 you know then the rural communities that's what i was going to say but i think that's not fair either because there's a lot of farmers and a lot of people in the rural communities who are absolutely championing yeah I, I really think that, and, i really think that's true as well i think uh that those people will will actually come out as as really like like heroes like uh leaders in 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 shaping the conversation and and shaping like the next generation of how uh like landscape looks how our landscapes look in in the future those people will be will be pivotal um and i mean there is still there is still space for people to farm in in ways that are more like intensive or economically uh uh not not economically valuable but more profitable um there is still space for that i'm not saying that all of those farms need to disappear i would never say something like that I, or or that farmers in general shouldn't be like farming the landscape of course this is a thing but we can have all of it that's that's the that's actually like the bottom line is we can have all of it uh and it can coexist uh together so this is it's not exclusivism it's not saying that wolves are are in a way of removing farmers from the landscape if if you if you ask me actually farmers are already leaving the landscape and it's not because of wolves and it's not because of rewilders um as much as they are sort of saying well here's here's uh um it's not a vacuum but it's like it's like an unfortunate circumstance that people are leaving the land what what can we do at least to get the most value for ourselves for our 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 descendants in a hundred years time what is more valuable to to them yeah so so people are are taking advantage of that and 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 i and i i i always get sad when i see that uh people think like rewilding is an attack on on rural communities it's 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 kind of just really like unfortunate i think um the the thing that rural communities could really do is could do with is 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 better support and and none of the or very few of the agricultural schemes or or, or um processes that that i see are really supporting rural communities they they it, this kind of business as usual model is is not helping i i don't see it helping it's people are moving out of out of rural communities yeah. so of course it's not helping Yeah. Well, well, listen, let's 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 go right there. You mentioned the R word, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this is this is what I I recently spent a lot of time talking mm-hmm. on on the podcast and 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 otherwise. Um the, so maybe the fir- first first question. Do you think that we we need like a different framework to talk about it uh on because it seems like when you mentioned word rewilding there's a lot of people who are just just straight away going into the full attack mode yeah and like course. you mentioned uh you know you run people on the land this that and something else um is and it it is unfortunate because that's this 
this confrontational real relation rather mm -hmm. than yeah. cooperate cooperative. Uh, do you think that we probably need like because the term rewilding kind of as far as I'm concerned it springs up to um, like existence uh, I think in the 90s mm -hmm. and since then it was adopted uh, by a lot of people when we're talking about rewilding and it's 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 almost like all that good stuff and all that we talk about reintroductions and the large carnivores expanding the range. The moment you mentioned rewilding, like everything just, just like a spanner in the world. Like, okay, it's over. Like, because, uh, do you think like we almost needed like a different term, different framework? Yeah, I mean, it, it tends it tends to get like that, and it's just it's just a bit um, like for me as a, as a, as a scientist, I, rewilding is not the most scientific term in the world. Like, there there has been plenty of uh, debate within the ecological community about rewilding as a as a term is it is it even novel is it just not restoration ecology which has always been going on um like what role does it play in conservation in, in general um so i i for me i don't really care about what you call it in in this sense Re rewilding if if it's being if it's too emotive um then then probably just use something else. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's actually more that we change people's attitudes and we change our actions. Um, because, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you look uh, in, in general, con conservation, uh, conservation has failed in a way. Mm. Like we have lost so much stuff and, and eroded um, uh, the natural world and, and our own experience of it and our own understanding of it has been, has, has been kind of eroded away. Uh, if you look at any of these reports, like the, the WWF Living Planet Report or the, the State of Nature in Europe from the European Commission, it, it's, it's generally not good news. And, and the only thing uh, or the best thing about rewilding is that it's kind of thrown a stone into this stagnant pond of water. And this ripple effect has really, um, has really changed things a lot. It's really... Um, come about in, in itself as, as a tool of changing people's attitudes. Mm. Um, and, and it uses, it does use uh, emotion. It really uh, latches onto that because, you know, when you talk to people about nature and you talk to people about how much you, we all love nature. Like this, this is, this is like a fundamental human thing. No one says I hate nature. No one says that. But so when you talk to people about nature and you talk about how much you love it, And you do you want more experience like this, or do you want do you think it deserves this place? Like everyone says yes, um, but it's just about these kind of uh, nuts and bolts uh, that, or, or sorry, yeah, like spanner in the works. Like you said, there's there's certain places where it comes into a problem with coexisting uh, with some some rural communities and and with some species, uh, whether that's trees or whether it's it's wolves. All of these things have 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 their place in, in sort of the, um, in, in the debate and the conversation. And, and it becomes, yeah, it becomes a problem when you don't bring along the communities that, that are kind of at, at the coal face, but the communities that are really, uh, face to face with this every day. So, um, I, I think rewilding in general is doing much more, uh, good than, than, than harm. Um, but, uh, It's it you you always need to be careful. I mean, it, with conservation in general, it's always been a, a 
it's not about managing wildlife it's about managing people yeah. it's about managing people where they are and, and how they behave and what what their opinion is and what's you know what when when faced with the challenge what do they do like do they say okay um like a lion has taken two of my goats i'm going to kill the lion or do they say a lion has taken two of my goats i'm going to uh we're, i'm going to join with my my colleagues and we're going to uh uh bring the goats together and we're going to build a pen or uh, all of these things like uh, that's just a very random example but but like um yeah, it just it's just about changing the game because really if we don't change anything uh we're we're screwed anyway. So uh, for me it's 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 good at taking this like big big leap forward. Um and um it's maybe a little bit rough and a little bit coarse and a little bit um insensitive sometimes but but they're they're more it's more about streamlining it from here on in. Like I I I really think that's the case. I think yeah, like you see uh, some people who who were so against rewilding now coming together with rewilders and, and 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 finding the common ground and when you find that common ground that common ground it is what that is it is common ground for both sides because like i i use scotland as as an example where you you will still have driven grouse moors and then you will have kind of more wildland uh shooting opportunities and then you will have wild protected forests and you can have all three like this is not a problem and and you can and you can coexist everyone can coexist in this space it's just about where does this boundary lie like uh, are you going to take all of my stuff away from me or are, are you going to or, or are you going to just rewild a tiny piece of land and, and we can ignore you and have yeah. fun of it yeah yeah that's you know like a couple of points on this um i was listening to uh, a podcast um, some time ago with the people who are involved in mountain lion or puma conservation in somewhere in South America, mm-hmm. and and the guy said like, conservation is managing conflict. That's that's what it is. Like I'm a I'm a conflict manager. That's it. So yeah. that's kind of like in line what you said is managing people. It's managing conflict. Yeah. So um, but I, I I'm even at, at this stage. I'm already past the, ter- the the point of using the term conflict. Conflict is a is a again. It's like a human construct. It's just coexisting. It's just finding. Yeah. The, true. The, the middle conflict ground. is a way of coexisting. Yeah, that's true. Um, conflict is a part of coexistence. I would say because there's also the other aspects. There's also the the like. The joy of having puma in in your local area and the pride and, and stuff that comes with that, like you you see that in places in Europe, but you also see it in places like in Central America. One of my colleagues and good friends, uh, her her camera trapping project discovered the first uh, puma in in her country, and they are so proud of of, of this discovery. Like it's 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 a it's a source of pride, but it, it's also uh, it's going to be a coexistence problem. Like they, yeah. they know that this is going to be a, a coexistence problem, but it, it's it's together with the pride. It's it's moving this these pieces forward and, and finding uh, common ground. Yeah, and the other point that you made, I I, I thought it was excellent that the rewild that actually rewilding was like a stone that you you throw into the the stagnant water, and I love that analogy. I never thought about it. Um, and it truly put this in a different context in a different light for me. Uh, so thanks for that, because uh, you know I I I I of the opinion that sometimes you need to piss people off 
to get them thinking. Mm-hmm. And and maybe this is exactly this. Like you 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 get people pissed off at something, but that you know after a second thought, it'll get them thinking about it and get more yeah, people thinking about it. So that's that was an excellent point. Exactly, and and by by a sort of accidental effect, the people who are who are very against rewilding have have really amplified it. Like now, it, it's a a thing that you read about in the newspaper <laughs> because some people have a problem with it. But but also uh, there's 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 like a real there is this real initial lack of understanding uh, and it's it's both uh, a lack of understanding of what people's or people who are engaging in rewilding what their goals are because it's always different it's always some mixture of, of different things so it's it's all it's initially confusing in that sense but then there's also the initial confusion about um, ecology in general and how systems work and and what what uh, nature is trying to do or does by itself without our our, our help. Um, and, and, and in effect, people who, who like to manage land don't like the term rewilding, but, but rewilding is just another type of management. It's ah, not, man, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, just so, just, I just so love that you said, because this is something I'm, I'm and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, there is a pushback from the rewilders yeah. when I when I say exactly that. I mean, like rewilding is a management. You need to actively manage, and you need to decide that you're going to rewild. Like, oh no, yeah, no what you course. mean? I'm not sure. So I love that now you're a scientist and you kind of saying the same thing. It's a, another form of land management. Yeah, like but but in effect, I wouldn't really even call myself a rewilder. I'm just an ecologist. It just so happens that I get involved in these conversations because <laughs> they're really interesting. They're really good fun. But yeah, yeah. of course. To, to not take to not do something is also is a decision. So it's um, and and in general, it always has some kind of management aspect to it. I don't think uh, it's it's. I don't think rewilders should be worried about saying that we will manage red deer numbers in order to rewild. Like that's not a problem. That's that's uh, understandable, like completely, and it has a scientific basis. So why you wouldn't rely on on the science as like your crutch? Uh, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, this is this is the problem. It's a problem with 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 every side of the argument. The more if you start saying fundamental things, and you don't change because of some fundamental reason or some fundamental belief that's that's not really based on on enough like evidence or scientific fact to to uh, to move your argument forward, you you just go around in circles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's it, it, you you made a couple of excellent points. Like uh, even. Even that the people who are against rewilding, they can be amplify that. Is it like this is just like a sign of the times today, right? Yeah, if you're, I, I, I if you so. want to ban something and remove something from from YouTube or whatever, you guarantee that this thing will go viral <laughs> yeah, gonna, because exactly. you wanted to hide it. So exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of like that thing. Listen, as you as you look at as you do your research and and you and you look at that current state of nature. Do you do you feel like sad that for what we lost? Do you that is is that something that you know you wish you didn't know that? 
it's like example I, I've 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 gave a couple of times that you know the moment you go to the hills and you you know I I I'm I'm only in Ireland for for mm-hmm. the last 13 years. So the first time I went to the hills, it's like oh it's so beautiful and this landscape and all that, right? And then the next thing, well maybe not next thing, but a couple of years later, I met Boric Fogarty and he's like oh it's overgrazed, it's a wet desert. It's like it's like fuck, you ruined that for me, right? It was so beautiful and now you ruined it. Is is there like a part of like like sometimes when you kind of confronted with what what we have versus what we used to have or what we could have that you go like oh this is so depressing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't remember whose quote it was. Someone said, uh, "An an an ecological like education ends up you walk through a world of of." of cuts or something like this really like everything you see you then go you you see where there's a problem and you see where something was done that really impacted nature and and uh i think i, I in one sense i'm i'm lucky that uh i didn't get a position i, I went for a position to to do a phd in, on the great barrier reef and now i'm really glad i didn't because i i think i wouldn't be able to deal with the depression of, of watching that system die in, in front of me, at least um, in Europe and, and like with, with talking like with other Europeans, like it, it, it's at least um, there's, there's hope underneath it all. And, and for, for me, I, I'm, I'm very critical of, of many, many aspects of, of how we have um, managed our wildlife and our wild spaces in the past and, and how we are doing it now. That's much more important to me, like what we are doing now um, but it's not criticism from the point of view of uh, that I like to uh, criticize people because I think I'm better than them or I'm on some kind of high tower or something like this. It, this criticism and, and criticism in general is it's a form of optimism. It's a form of saying, wow, we can actually do something better. And isn't that so exciting? Like, why, why, why not think about it a different way? And, and, and and move towards something that that really is exciting and and um and we, that we can build upon for for generations to come like that's that's where the criticism comes from it's it's criticism but it's mixed like fundamentally with with optimism yeah that's a that's a that's it i i mean like in in europe uh seems that things are are going in a good direction uh, at least in, if you if you look at the other large carnivores and um it, it, it's yeah, it's it's probably one of the more optimistic. Uh, yeah, it really is. It's like one of the, like in effect, it's like one of the only success stories. Um, but, <laughs> but but that's uh, like that. Like we need we need to kind of build on that momentum. We need to like bring that forward and 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 use. I would I would say if 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 I was trying to conserve birds, for example, in in forests or in kind of swamps or wetlands or something like this. I would be trying to use like large carnivores like wolves to to help establish protected areas that 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 can also protect birds because if you think about the home range of a wolf and you think okay this is a couple of hundred kilometers squared if we can protect even one home range of a wolf like that's huge that's huge for every smaller animal that uses a smaller amount of space underneath that yeah so yeah. so th- these things are, are so they are like they vehicles to protect habitat again they they like vehicles to protect habitat yeah exactly exactly they're 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 
and, and it doesn't mean excluding people. I'm not saying that that it's ever the case. Like, uh, like national parks, people always say national parks are like this kind of pinnacle of nature protection. They're full of people. They're full of people all the time. Like even in, in where we we live in uh, Bavarian Forest National Park, like it's it's I think at this stage the biggest forested national park in Germany, and it had more visitors this year I think than than any other year, and and now there's multiple wolf packs and there's plenty of lynx and and there's red deer and roe deer and wild boar everywhere, so like not not at super high densities but they're 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 there and they they. They survive and they thrive, and the people around them that that at least the people that use the national national park and are local have a really good attitude to to these animals. Yeah. yeah. Have you been involved in in any discussions or any um, interaction with with uh, farmers who are uh, directly affected by the by depredation? Uh, only through sort of uh, through translation so it's not really uh, in effect my 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 questions going over in the way that i want to ask them um it's something I, i'm trying to get like more involved in especially in like in like ukraine where um in the carpathians like wolves often take um actually they often more often take dogs than anything else um but but i want to know what the people's kind of perspective on on this is like in, in general, their dogs are all outside and they're all roaming around the village and then dogs go missing because of wolves. But, but do, what, what do people, where, where do people see this kind of uh, coexistence problem happening? Is it, do they think it's more that this is what wolves do and that's fine and that happens and it's just a dog? Or do they think like, this is my family pet and I'm really affected by this and uh, there should be some kind of uh, solution that, that, that either a national park comes up with or the, the Ministry of Ecology decides uh, to do about the wolves. So I, I, I'm still excited to have these conversations uh, with people. Who, uh, in general, I think in, in Ukraine and, and Belarus, there's there's a lot less. The farming system is, of course, so different. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in Germany, it's, it's also quite a bit different, I would say. But there are people uh, who are more so... Um, who are more like farmers, say, in Ireland. And then I, uh, I would love to talk with more Italian farmers as well because they, they, they tend to have a lot of sheep or, or Spanish farmers where there's yes. a, a lot of sheep. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, it's, or it's, Greek it's, farmers, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Go all, ahead. All, of these, all of these people have, have uh, like a, a different way of, of, of dealing with the problem and different attitudes. And I'd, I'd love to keep uh, those conversations going. Yeah, yeah. Sp 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 Spain seems to be um, one of the places where where that conflict is. Yeah. Uh, I I had a we even like you 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 might be aware of that. We had a con kind of interaction on on social media uh, a few months ago with a farmer from Germany who got the uh, uh, horse killed by uh, by wolves. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it was like a. <laughs> it wasn't like a, I don't think it was like any room for any any uh, kind of conversation. It was like ah, and I understand yeah. that. Like I, I I just can't imagine. You know, you you have your horse, and you know all all you know it's almost like a family member. Plus, it's a huge value. Mm -hmm. And then one day it's like killed, and it's like oh now now those rewilders coming asking me a questions, right? So I was like ah, yeah. I mean, so this is this is this is obviously. You know, it's heartbreaking for someone, especially if they're really connected with with their animal in in this sense. Um, and these things, 
maybe maybe we we just don't know how to deal with it yet but but how how do we find that way to deal with it the only way is to talk about it the only way is to ask the only way is to say well is there is there um certain things that that you think were important in in this wolf killing your horse or or some something like this i'm not really sure exactly i haven't thought about it enough but but like like for a wolf it's not coming in with like like you know foam dripping out of its mouth going i need to eat a horse it <laughs> it just does what it does it's just an it's just yeah. an animal yeah um, yeah they're yeah. they're smart and they're it's um, opportunity it was an opportunity and they yeah, took the exactly. opportunity it's, that's it that's it um, yeah i mean yeah. these individual cases are, are hard really hard to comment on it's 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 like in in the grand scheme of things like if you're worried about horses Like I would, I would put your effort into something like horse racing, where where horses die every week on a racetrack. Like this is true. This is, this is yeah. way more impactful on horses and horse welfare than than wolves. But it's the same with with also people's dogs. People's dogs kill sheep at hundreds of rates, and even people dogs kill people. But this is when when people see wolves, they think I'm I'm in danger. And really, the danger relatively is is it's minuscule. Low. Oh yeah, I, I I had a I had an episode of a podcast. I don't remember a number when my buddy was uh, cycling uh, cycling through the uh, Sahara Desert to get to some fishing destination. Right, it's it's mm -hmm. kind of like mind blowing. He was cycling through desert to get fishing, and uh, and the local people uh, uh, turned him back because he said like, well, this time of the year, if you're gonna be camping on the desert, you will get mauled by dogs. There are like a feral dogs. They're not like a wildlife. They're just they just stray dogs, the feral dogs. Yeah. And no, every no year, number of people get killed by those dogs because yeah. they're just taking care of themselves. And you know, mm -hmm. but they have no no fear of people. And and wolves fundamentally, the only reason that these wolves in Europe exist is because they were too scared to be near people. Because if they were near people, they would they would have been killed. Yeah, that was interesting point, and, and, and that is that is kind of a uh, nice segue to the uh, probably uh, you know last last thing I want to discuss with you mm -hmm. today, um, which is um, it, it, we get there. So what I'm heading is to is is Ireland and how you know Ireland being an island is different from Europe, where you you know you don't have this natural movement of the yeah, animal. Of course, one of the arguments uh, against Uh, reintroduction uh and it, it's 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 specifically um i think where, where it was like in the colorado when they recently there was a ballot and they decided mm -hmm. to introduce wolves and a lot of arguments against reintroduction wolves were coming from people who are actually not against having wolves yeah. but they're they're the argument is that you're creating a different profile of an animal exactly. that you're that you're reintroducing because those animals are kind of less aware and less afraid they less know what to do because they were just put in this place and now you know go ahead and figure thing out versus the animals who are naturally colonized the area mm -hmm. and they're naturally their profile is different because they know kind of they figure out what to do to not get in conflict with 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 human too much and and kind of like it so So that I thought that was interesting uh, arguments like well let's not not reintroduce them there let's let the the you know nature takes its course <laughs> here I'm saying it uh, because in the long run it's gonna be it's gonna be better um, and I, I was thinking about it in the context of like Ireland or Scotland where mm -hmm. you know at least a a a pack of 
uh, German wolves will go full U-boat mode and uh, you know show up at, at the shore. Like, like we have no no idea, right? We have no 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 not an idea, but we have no chance other than just get them in a crate and ship them over and cut them loose. And that you know that creates this uh, to me personally absurd situation where you're talking about wildlife crime, right? You 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 you. Because like if if you and I like get a wolf in a crate and and you know smuggle them over the uh, channel and cut them loose in Ireland, that's a wildlife crime, right? Yeah, absolutely. So in that it's it, it's but but it's it's like my mind blowing because like so that means that in Europe, actually wildlife crime is a crime that committed by wildlife by the fact of them moving mm. somewhere, right? It's like uh, it, it's it's like. So what are your what are your 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 your, your comments? I'm I'm wondering like what you what's your yeah take it's a funny it? thing. Um, so for me, I I, uh, I I don't know. I feel quite strongly about this this uh, problem of putting putting wildlife to to a democratic vote is actually not a good idea. Even though, for instance, like I would say, if you look at like Ireland or Scotland, where you 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 might actually that 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 democratic vote for like a reintroduction would probably cross the line. And, and especially if you look at like the proportion of people who live in cities and therefore have less stake uh, in, in like say in agriculture or something like this. But, but again, it's what we talked about earlier, this like slippery slope. Do you start voting on pine martens? Like pine martens are eating some people's chickens, I, I'm sure, but we're not going to democratically vote uh, whether we want them or not, uh, they're they're just fundamentally a part of our ecosystem. That's 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 probably for me like uh, really a, like an important thing. Um, and I'm I'm sure that actually the 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 wildlife service in Colorado were not really happy about this idea of voting yes. as well because mm-hmm. they 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 said yeah they would prefer the or the instruction to come uh, in a natural in a natural way just by dispersal. Uh, but yes, we have no. Uh, this is not possible uh, in Ireland or the UK. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just not possible. So, so what can we do? There, there has to be some things that 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 we can do in 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 our in our kind of understanding and knowledge of of uh, of how these systems work. And obviously, we don't want animals turning up at people's doors or you know coming into farms or something like this. Um, like I, I haven't really thought about it enough to, to give you like a, a really good answer, but maybe something like um, like 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 actually having every animal that's reintroduced uh, collared with the, with a GPS tracker, like this way, and, and and a team of people who can in effect sort of manage the the introduction in in a, in a light sense, at least for uh, the, the implementation of this kind of project, where you can. Yeah, you can know where the animals are and you can know what the risks are. And, you know, like wolves are are smart and they they don't like people in general. Um, But they're also, you know, adaptable. And I hate hate to say it's like it's like training, but you could nearly um, you could nearly scare the wildlife away from certain areas. And then they learn not to go there. Like this is is many different things. There's a research in the U.S. Uh, where they try to do this exact same thing with uh, mountain lions. 
Yeah, yeah. So and, it's not, and they're measuring, you know, what is the reaction of the mountain lion that was scared off by the loud sound, and then you know that 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 animal tends to avoid the areas when when he heard that sound, and, and yeah, of course, like manage conflict that way, which is yeah. So exactly it's it's like said. it's like uh, Pavlov Pavlov's dog, except it's a wolf. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Well, listen, um, we're gonna be wrapping this thing up. Uh, is there anything? Is there anything you wanna you wanna leave uh, our listeners with? Um, you know, any any final thoughts or or anything that that uh, we should we should talk about and we didn't? No, I just I I, just, I think probably everyone who listens to your podcast thinks a lot about nature and thinks a lot about um, our like our uh, place in nature. And I think to keep talking about that and keep having those conversations with with people, especially people who don't really think about it a lot. Um, and you'll find that that yeah, the, the world is obviously full of diverse opinions, and um, and, and like bringing everyone together is is always like a good thing, and, and and talking about these things is always a good thing. And most importantly, to say thank you to you for for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's absolute pleasure. And and you know, I feel like we could we we already like hour and a half into it, and we I, I feel like we could do another hour and a half easily. Mm. Listen, man, when when is uh, when's your your research? Uh, when when's your when you're gonna conclude your research? Uh, oh, I don't know. Years I'm... away? Is it like you don't even think about it? It's so far away. Uh, so it'll be c- different stages. Will be concluded at different times. I think the it just depends really on on what what data comes in and what we decide to analyze at, at a specific time like I, I will be researching these uh this kind of topic specifically for the next few years um but probably i will i will now always be invested in it because i have um conducted the work and the field work and the data will come in probably and i will probably process it for for years yeah. to come so yeah. like every time i have uh kind of conclusions or results and papers and stuff I, I I will Twitterize them like crazy. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I I would I would really uh, welcome you into the podcast again once you have a like, oh, you know, some 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 you know uh, that we can talk about your results. That that's, mm-hmm. that's any time. Listen, man. Uh, for everybody who is listening to that and would like to know more or contact you on on social media, how to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm uh, at Adam F Smith on on Twitter. Um, that's the best place to kind of contact me. Or if you're a researcher. Uh, you can also find me on ResearchGate and keep up to date with anything that I publish. Sure. Uh, Adam, thanks a lot for your time. I really oh, appreciate it. It was a great conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again sometime. Yeah, it was super. Thank you so much, Tommy. 